The Middle Ages were a rough time for European farmers. They were trying to grow crops on fields that had been in use for hundreds or even thousands of years. They knew farming exhausted the field, but they didn't know why. The result was that as many as half of the fields had to be left fallow every year. As you can imagine, leaving half of the fields fallow is terribly inefficient. And the result was that Europe had frequent famines. So let me ask you a question. Do you feel tired? Does your mind feel tired? Do you feel creatively like a field that just can't produce the crop yield it once did? If so, I have some good news. A discovery our ancestors made back in the 1700s to massively increase crop yields works for creative work today. In fact, this is the method prolific author Brandon Sanderson uses to outright and outsell all of his competitors. If you want to learn how to write better and faster with a rested mind, keep listening to this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. Now, before we can talk about Sanderson's method to rapidly write lots of books, we first need to talk about the problem. Why did those fields get exhausted? Well, we now know the answer. It was something called nitrogen depletion. There's three primary nutrients that soil needs to produce crops, potassium, nitrogen, and phosphorus. And cereal crops like wheat and corn are particularly hungry for nitrogen. If you keep planting wheat in the same field over and over, eventually the ground will run out of nitrogen and you won't be able to grow wheat anymore. But that's not the only problem. The other problem is pests and weeds. There's all kinds of little critters that also like to eat wheat. <laughs> Whether it's a weevil or a microbe that will poison the crop, it's all bad if you're a farmer. The more you plant the same thing in the field, the more those little beasties gather to destroy the crop. And it's interesting because both of those problems, both the nitrogen depletion and the pests and weeds, have the same solution, crop rotation. It turns out that legumes, like peas, beans, and peanuts, don't take nitrogen from the soil. They actually put nitrogen back in the soil. If you grow a nitrogen-fixing crop like beans for a year, the soil has more nitrogen in it than it did the year before. Let me say this again. A nitrogen-depleted field is more rested after a year of growing legumes than it is after a year of being left fallow. And with some experimentation, 17th century agriculturalists found the ideal rotation called the Norfolk four-course rotation. <laughs> the order in Britain was as follows. They'd plant legumes first to fix the nitrogen. Then they'd have a cereal crop like wheat, then a root crop like carrots, followed by barley, and then back to the legumes, cereals, root crops, and barley. Round and round it goes. Now, the specific crops would shift around a bit depending on the soil and the climate. But with this new system in place, a British farmer could grow twice as much food as his grandfather was able to grow on the same field. And that farmer's grandson could go twice as much again on the exact same land. This is an event known to historians as the British Agricultural Revolution, and it laid the groundwork for the Industrial Revolution that was just around the corner. The hands had to be freed from working in the fields for the brains to invent the new machines. 
And famines went from something that happened every decade to something British school children studied about in school. So now that you know the basics of crop rotation, let's talk about how you can use this method to improve your productivity in writing. And we'll first start with cereals. Cereal crops like wheat for the British was the glory crop. This was the primary source of calories and a reliable source of cash. With constant famines on the continent, there was always a market for surplus wheat. And for authors, this is your book, the actual writing that you do. And the temptation is to just write over and over again. But if you're not careful, you'll deplete the soil. So that leads us to the next crop, the root crops. So why root crops? Why plant carrots after planting wheat? Well, the kinds of pests that like to climb up a wheat stalk to nibble on the kernels of wheat typically don't know how to dig in the ground to eat carrots and turnips. This is true of pathogens and also the wee little beasties <laughs> they used to complain about. And if you think about it, if you're a microbe, climbing and digging are very different skills. So you have digging microbes and climbing microbes. And the pathogens that have been haunting the crops have a whole year to starve and die off. It also gives the farmer a year to go to war with the weeds. For most authors, editing uses a different part of their brain than writing. Think about it. After an intense editing session, you're likely mentally tired, but tired in a different way than you were after an intense writing session. So that's the root crops. Now let's talk about barley, which was used mostly as animal feed. This four-course rotation not only produced more food for humans, it produced more food for animals. Previously, many farm animals had to be slaughtered in the fall because there was not enough food to feed them in the winter. So once the farmers felt that the final freeze was coming in, they would slaughter a lot of their animals and the food would be frozen in a free freezer outside because they couldn't afford to feed the animals. But the problem is, is that those animals are important. The ox helps you push a plow. The chickens turn kitchen scraps into eggs and fertilizer, and cows turn barley into calorie-dense milk. So keeping the animals alive is important for survival. So what are the animals in this metaphor? Marketing. You don't want to kill off your marketing between books. Most authors are introverts who find interacting with strangers to be exhausting. <laughs> but getting the word out about your book involves interacting with other people. And if you want more readers for this book than you had for the last book, this means interacting with strangers somehow. But here's the good news. At this point, you've been locked in a room writing and editing for a long time, which means you're now as ready to interact with readers as you will ever be. <laughs> Marketing is a very different activity than writing. It requires a different part of your brain and a lot more social interaction. It's a great break from editing. And by the time you're done with your book launch, you're emotionally tired and ready for some solitude, which is good because solitude is what you're about to get, which leads us to legumes. <laughs> After a season of marketing, most authors need a break before they're ready to jump back into writing. But if they just watch TV, they'll find that they don't feel emotionally rested. Watching TV is like leaving the fields fallow. It's better than nothing, but it's not as restful as planting nitrogen-fixing legumes. So what are the legumes in this metaphor? Education and planning. Or if you want a single word, you could say preparation. Have you ever noticed that reading a craft book fires you up with ideas to try the next time you start writing? Most authors find that they have to read craft books with a notepad nearby because they get so many cool ideas. They have to capture them quickly before they go away. 
planning can have the same effect, especially for more experienced authors. So the more of a beginner you are, the more you need to be reading craft books. The more experienced you are, the more time you tend to want to spend planning. But everybody needs to do both. You never get so good that you stop learning, and you're never so much of a beginner that some planning won't benefit you. Now, this planning could come in the form of research, outlining, world building, character creation, and more. The more preparation you do, the more nitrogen you fix in the soil, the more the soil is ready for an unbelievable harvest. By the time you're done planning, you will be chomping at the bit to be ready to get back to your writing. Chomping at the bit is another agricultural metaphor. It's, uh, it's when a horse really wants to go. It'll chomp with its teeth on the metal bit in its mouth because it's so fired up and excited. And that's what you want to be with writing your book. And what's wonderful about this rotation is that each phase fires you up for the next phase and around and around it goes. There's no point where you're drained and depleted because once you're tired with one thing, you do something else that charges you up for the next thing and so on. So let's talk about how Brandon Sanderson uses this crop rotation method. Brandon Sanderson rests the writing side of his brain by editing a different project. Sanderson actually rotates between four different books, each of which is at a different stage in its development. So here's an example of his rotation from 2016. So first, he's working on the Oathbringer first draft. Then, he, when he's done with that, he switches to the White Sand proofread. After that, he does the Edge Dancer first draft. After that, he goes on to the Dark Talent copy edit. And then from there, he goes back and does the second draft of Oathbringer. Sanderson switches both the phase and the book, and this is really important. So he's not just switching between writing and editing the same book. He's switching between writing one book and editing a different book, and then writing a different book, and then editing a different book. By switching both books and phases, he's giving both the book and that part of his mind a chance to rest. He rests by working. He just rotates what he's working on to make it restful work. By the time he works on books two, three, and four, he can't wait to get back to work on book one. If you go to Brandon Sanderson's website right now, you will see four progress bars for the four books he's working on. He's not working on all four books at the same time, which you might think seeing four progress bars. He's rotating between them in a way that's both restful and invigorating. And this is a big reason why he outproduces his two biggest rivals, Patrick Rothfuss and George R.R. R. Martin, combined. <laughs> I think you could make the case that both Rothfuss and Martin are nitrogen-depleted fields. <laughs> they keep doing the same thing over and over again, and the fields are just getting more and more depleted of the vital nutrients that they need. And as a result, they're leaving their fields fallow and just not publishing anything, hoping it will help. And they don't realize that they'd actually rejuvenate their writing faster by working on more projects. People think that Sanderson is a successful writer, and that's why he's writing so many books. But he's actually writing so many books in a way that makes him a successful writer. It's the more projects is what allows him to be better and to write more projects. Now, I want to compare Sanderson's crop rotation method with James Patterson's industrial farming method. They're both very prolific, but they use different methods. So to explain Patterson's kind of modern approach, we have to understand how industrial farmers plant crops. They don't rely on crop rotation anymore. 
Instead of planting legumes to fix nitrogen, they buy nitrogen fertilizer. Instead of planting root crops to fight the weeds, they buy pesticides. And while Patterson does rotate between projects, and and modern farmers rotate crops from time to time as well, Patterson also works with a massive team of other authors to produce his books. Patterson outlines the story, but another author writes the rough draft. Patterson makes notes for changes, but another person implements them. Patterson has marketing ideas, but there is a whole team of marketing people taking those ideas and actually doing the marketing. This industrial approach is very productive, but it's also very expensive. If you want a million-dollar team developing and promoting your books, you need to be able to afford the million dollars it costs to pay them. And Patterson's team costs more than a million dollars a year, especially if you include everyone in the publishing house who's working on Patterson's projects. So this industrial approach really only works for authors who are already successful. (laughs) Patterson did not have that million-dollar team for his very first book. And don't feel like you have to use Patterson's method to succeed. Just like there are organic farmers today who still rely on crop rotation to fight pests, there are very productive authors who happily do everything themselves, and they're able to continue doing that without burning out because they don't do everything all at once. They use task rotation or project rotation to keep themselves rested. Now, there's one other kind of crop rotation that's not explicitly part of the Norfolk four-course rotation that I want to mention briefly. So the Norfolk rotation is each year you plant a different crop so that the land rests for four years between wheat plantings. But there's another kind of rotation that pretty much all farmers do, which is called winter grass. (laughs) So after the fall harvest, the dirt is there and it's vulnerable to erosion. So what farmers like to do is they plant a winter grass to grow on this barren land. It helps hold the soil in. And when it's time to do the spring plowing, you plow that grass into the dirt where it decomposes. It adds nutrients to the soil and it becomes what farmers call green manure. (laughs) It's not actually manure, but it acts like manure. Then it rots into the soil and adds nutrients into the soil. But here's the key to wintergrass, and this is very important for authors. Wintergrass, if you plant it in the spring, or if you don't plow it up and destroy it before you plant, it will fight with the good crops you're trying to grow, and it will reduce your yield. It may even choke out those good crops. So what is wintergrass in this metaphor? It is email. (laughs) The easiest tip to implement in this episode is this. Do email last. Whatever phase you're on, writing, editing, marketing, or planning, do it before you check your email. This will dramatically improve your productivity. I've noticed that many traditionally published authors have email notifications turned on, either on their phone or on their computer, or God forbid, on both. All throughout the day, email is dinging, distracting them, and taking them out of the zone. This is a habit that is formed when you're waiting to hear back from your agent or acquisitions editor. You want that email saying that you're about to get $10,000. And so you want it to ding every five minutes in case maybe this email is your agent. And it creates a very addictive loop with email. And it's like planting winter grass in the spring. It's choking the good writing that you could be doing if you just turn off email. 
the best time to check your email is in the winter of your day when you're too tired to do anything else. So for the love of productive writing, turn off Outlook notifications. Turn off Apple Mail notifications so that you can focus on the task in front of you. Do it now. Pause this episode and turn off the notifications. It will make you dramatically more rested, more productive. And you know what? The emails can wait. You don't actually have to check email all the time. If you are slowly depleting your mental soil, writing will get harder and harder, despite the fact that you're getting more practiced at writing. And this is really frustrating, and it causes many writers to burn out and give up. On the other hand, if you're leaving the soil more revitalized each year than the year before, you can cultivate an incredibly productive creative field. With this crop rotation method, you can increase your creative fertility. It's just a matter of doing the right things at the right time. The ideal crop rotation depends on the climate and the soil, and the four crops in the Norfolk method vary from place to place. Some soils, for example, are not suited for growing wheat, even with the ideal rotation. They've got too much sand or too much clay. And this is true for authors as well. The ideal rotation for you will be different than from authors like Brandon Sanderson. So I'm not saying that you need to copy exactly what he's doing and work on exactly four books and, and do one phase all at once and then move to the next phase. That might work for you. It may not. The key for you is to take that philosophy of crop rotation because crop rotation was discovered several times in several parts of the world because it's a really good approach. <laughs> and it was discovered far before they knew what nitrogen was, right? The chemistry behind crop rotation and the current chemical understanding of crop rotation came way after. The practice came before the theory. So how do you find the right rhythm for you? You experiment, right? Some authors rotate within a single day. They'll draft book one in the morning, and then they'll edit book two in the afternoon. Other authors do it on a day-by-day -day basis. So on Monday, they draft book one, and then on Tuesday, they edit book two, and so on. This is what I do. I try to have themes. Each day has a theme. So today is my podcast day where I'm drafting and recording a podcast episode. Brandon Sanderson, on the other hand, works in two to eight week sprints, typically, depending on the size of the book, right? When you're working on a 300,000 word book, you can't do it in two weeks. You can't do anything to that book in two weeks, <laughs> except for maybe read it if you're focused. Experiment with what works for you. Try different things. Try rotating and observe yourself. If you're feeling really tired, that is a sign that perhaps the rotation isn't quite right yet. Remember, the more you focus your work, the more you can focus your rest. Every day can be a rest day if you're focused enough. Bodybuilders know this, right? Bodybuilders know that leg day is also the day you rest your arms. <laughs> they mix which body parts are being worked. So every day is a rest day, but they also mix in days where they're resting everything. Even with good crop rotation, leaving a field fallow from time to time can be a good idea. Sometimes you just need to take a break and that's okay. So when I'm saying, you know, you can work in a restful way, this is very true. And in general, it's the best approach. But it's also okay to just take a break and go on vacation. But if you're needing a lot of breaks, right, if half the fields are fallow, like they were in the Middle Ages, that's a bad sign. It doesn't mean you need more breaks. It means you need a better rotation between projects to make the rest more restful. And sometimes the best rest is working on something else. So to recap real quick, the four phases I'm recommending as your default is writing, editing, marketing, and preparation. Then back around again, writing, editing, marketing, and preparation. 
If you want more help with this, I encourage you to check out the five-year plan. The five-year plan is a rhythm of writing, editing, marketing, and education that guides you to the best craft books at the best time to read to develop your craft faster. I created this plan with best-selling and award-winning author James L. Rubart to be a step-by-step guide through your first five years of your writing career. You learn each quarter what to do and what mistakes to avoid that hijack success for most authors. And our hope is, is that after five years of following this prescribed rhythm, you'll know enough to be able to create your own rhythm moving forward. So if you're wanting some help with this, I encourage you to check it out at authormedia.com slash courses. And I will say, if you're a patron of the podcast, you can get the five-year plan for 50% off. So it pays to become a patron first before signing up for the five-year plan. Speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is Derek Deppner, author of Why Authors Fail. Becoming a massively successful self-published author can be challenging. Even just one missing link in an otherwise perfect plan can kill your results. In Why Authors Fail, award-winning author Derek Deppner reveals the 17 biggest mistakes authors make that sabotage their writing success, along with practical steps to fix each mistake. Derek, thank you for supporting the Novel Marketing Podcast and helping keep this show on the air. I really appreciate your support. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. Our producer is Laurie Christine. The audio engineering is by William Umstadt. And the blog post version is crafted by Shauna Lettler. To read the blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 355. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.